You are listening to the Compliance Conversations podcast by Healthicity. If you work in the healthcare industry, you know how crucial compliance is to your bottom line, your reputation, and the success of your organization as a whole. If this is your first time listening, welcome. A transcript of every Compliance Conversations episode can be found at www.healthicity.com resources, along with a ton of other thought leadership materials. You can add us to your RSS feed and iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, everybody. This is CJ Wolf from Healthicity. I'm Healthicity's Senior Compliance Executive, and this is another episode of Compliance Conversations. And today we have a, a wonderful guest, Judy Castle. Welcome, Judy. Thank you. Uh, Judy is uh, an attorney, an expert uh, legal uh, advisor on all things medical marijuana. I thought that was a really interesting topic. Uh, those of you that um, have attended the HCCA's recent Compliance Institute in Las Vegas uh, back in April would, would have noticed that there were a couple sessions on this topic. And uh, we thought it would be great to get an expert on the line rather than me try to, to fake it. Uh, you'd all see through that pretty quickly. And so Judy is here to help us with that. And Judy, bef- before I uh, get into asking you some questions, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit? Tell us who you work for and what you do. Great. Thanks, CJ. Yes, Judy Castle, and I work for Cannabis Law PA. We're a law firm that is out of Pennsylvania, and we practice in the medical marijuana space representing growers, processors, laboratories, physicians, ancillary businesses related to um, medical marijuana. And we practice predominantly in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, though we have also um, been hired as consultants for some of the other states like Ohio and New York in representing those types of clients. Um, We do administrative litigation, so we defend and represent cannabis owners, cannabis company owners um, before state agencies. We also help them with their contractual concerns, and then we also do a lot of um, applications, helping people with their applications to become um, medical marijuana operators. Yeah, so you've got a lot of experience in this space, and I'm I'm sure uh, this this area is growing quite a bit with a lot of states that seem to be moving in this direction. Is is that the trend that you would say is is true? Yes, it seems to be exponential. The more um, states legalize, the the more the number of states that have legalized marijuana, it seems to get traction, and then you'll find that you'll see more legalization on the ballots for the next um, session of of voting. So I do think it has a lot of momentum right now. Even, as you might know, um, Jeff Sessions came out last week with a statement saying that he has finally agreed that there is some medicinal value in medical marijuana. So if we can convince someone like Jeff Sessions, we're pretty sure we can convince everybody else. Yeah, well, and I was just going to say, you know, I live in Utah, and we're a pretty conservative state, and um, the latest session, legislative session, has had talk about medical marijuana. Now, I know maybe you can comment on this. You know, there's differences between, you know, legalizing recreational use of marijuana, but also the medical marijuana side of things. I would think there may be more states that have approved it for me- for medical purposes. But could you comment on that? Maybe break it down on, you know, how many states out there have um, laws that allow it for medical use versus recreational? Right. That's a great question, CJ. About 28 states legalized marijuana, of which seven have um, recreational or adult use marijuana, and the rest are strictly medical marijuana. I believe there's three more um, states, I I think Kentucky is one of them, um, that have it on their ballot for November. So we may cross the 30 line this year. 
Yeah. And so that's interesting. And I appreciate your expertise there because I, you know, I just hear about it anecdotally and um, kind of had the sense that it's increasing um, throughout the country. You know, you mentioned Jeff Sessions. And so maybe I could just throw out this question too. How do, how do we reconcile, you know, at the federal level, if it's considered illegal and at state level, it's legal. And I'm not an attorney, so maybe you can even correct me if it's not right to say it that way. But could you comment on that? Sure. And that's a really good question. And everybody is kind of, most people are kind of aware that that dichotomy exists, but they're not sure how it exists. So your question is spot on. And what occurs is this can happen because of our 10th Amendment. So things that are prohibited at the federal level, where states allow or permit something to occur, that doesn't um, result in a conflict or a preemption of, of federal law over state law in, in states. So that's the Tenth Amendment that allows that kind of um, bizarre situation to occur. Okay, interesting. Um, so now if we could kind of maybe just jump into kind of on the medical side, most of our listeners, you know, are either physicians, physician practices, hospitals, skilled nursing facilities, even some rehab uh, facilities. Uh, so a lot of medical uh, professionals and compliance officers listening. And, you know, what I think a lot of physicians may be asking compliance officers and even their in-house or external legal counsel, you know, what are the dangers of me as a physician or as a practice getting involved in recommending medical marijuana? Is there a danger of losing their license? I'm sure that may vary by state, but what are your thoughts about that? That's a really good question, and I do represent some physicians groups, and I represent one physicians group that is strictly medical marijuana, which is um, kind of unique. Yeah. And so that's a a question on everybody's mind in terms of um, what are the dangers, what are the risks? And I will say that and you use the word recommending, which is very important to use because, as most physicians know, when they get licensed to prescribe medications, in order to maintain that license, they are precluded from prescribing anything on Schedule 1 of the Controlled Substance Act, the CSA. So they would lose their license if they prescribed some kind of um, medication that was on that schedule, Schedule 1. So what happened in, in back in 2002, a physician who was um, talking to a patient saying, I think you'd really benefit from medical marijuana, was investigated and prosecuted by the federal government out in California. Wow. And the Ninth Circuit, yeah, <laughs> pretty dangerous. The yeah. Ninth Circuit actually found that the physicians have a right to free speech. You know, go, go, go figure. Yes. <laughs> um, and so therefore... Um, if they're just recommending um, that medical marijuana may help the patient, they're not violating their oath, they're not violating their um, licensure um, about prescribing. So we always say that physicians are allowed to recommend medical marijuana, but they're not allowed to prescribe. I will add um, that even though that's the Ninth Circuit that decided that case, and obviously that's not precedential for here um, because we're in the uh, Third Circuit, it, I will note that that happened in 2002, and the federal government has never, since 2002, brought another case against the physician. So we think it's a pretty strong argument why physicians will be covered and protected um, for recommending medical marijuana. Okay. So is it not allowed in any states for them to prescribe? I mean, if a, if a state that has, um, you know, in some of these states where they've passed legislation where it's it's legal to 
to use medical marijuana, can they prescribe it in those states? No. Um, and, and, and that's because um, the licensures um, deal with that Schedule 1, that um, Controlled uh-huh. Substance Act, okay. in order for them to have their license. Um, so they can still recommend it. And um, th- now some states will call it, uh, use a different verb other than recommend, certify, um, okay. list, uh, permit, but they won't use the word prescribe. Okay. Interesting. So so then if a, if a physician is recommending it, I'm just thinking from the patient's perspective, I say, okay, sounds good. How do I get some? Can you give it to me, doctor? So they, obviously probably not, right? So they're recommending. So then what, how do they get that information to the patient or what, where does the patient go from there? Right. All the states that have medical marijuana have set up a, a process. And in Pennsylvania, I'll, I'll just use that as an example, but it's pretty similar in all states. Okay. In Pennsylvania, someone who who would like to go to a doctor to see if medical marijuana would benefit from that, uh, to see if it, medical marijuana would benefit them, they go online and they register with the state. So that's the patient. Then they go to the doctor and say, hey, I'd like, to, you know, I, I'm having this pain, nothing else has solved it. The doctor will make a um, diagnosis and then recommend medical marijuana. By looking the patient up in the state um, state um, system, they'll see the patient and, they'll, and the doctor will put in the code that says, yes, we're recommending medical marijuana. Ah, the okay. patient will then go home and acknowledge that, and the state will send them a card. The patient will take that card into a medical marijuana dispensary and be allowed to purchase their medical marijuana from the dispensary. Ah, okay. So... Um... Is and this is going to sound very naive, but it, is all of medical marijuana? Is it all smoked? I mean, how? I mean, if you could tell me a little bit about how that would actually work from a patient's perspective, what do they do? Oh, excellent question! I love questions like that. Um, <laughs> every every state has their own um, list of the forms that are approved to be dispensed. Pennsylvania initially came out with with and. and Bill is the case. There's no smoking. But they did have pills and ointments, drops, tinctures, and vapes. Um, and originally, Pennsylvania had no flour, no edible, no smokable. They just passed or approved flour, but it, not to be smoked, just be vaped. So um, each state will have its own set of format that the medical marijuana can come in. Okay. And the dispensary will then sell it. The grower processor is charged with actually growing it and processing it into that form. Interesting. So what kind of conditions have you run across where it's being recommended by physicians? Is it mostly for pain control or what other areas have you seen that to be effective? Right. Um, Pennsylvania is one of the most expansive and Ohio and New Mexico are are pretty close behind them or or right around them in terms of conditions that are approved. Pennsylvania has approved Originally 17, and then they just approved four more, so they're up to 21 different conditions. And and part of those conditions are um, PTSD and chronic pain, which is key um, for a lot of reasons we can chat about in a moment. But um, having that broad base of conditions has allowed Pennsylvania to grow the medical marijuana program much more exponentially than other states. For instance, we've had medical marijuana on the shelves for about three months, we have 30,000 patients registered. New Jersey had medical marijuana on the shelf for five years and had 4,000 patients registered because they only had five conditions. Gotcha. That's really interesting. And, you know, given that some of these states are close, um, can patients cross state lines? Uh, Given what you said earlier, 
it sounds like probably not. You have to be a resident of the state to follow that state's process for registering as a patient, have the doctor recommend, et cetera. But is that accurate? They couldn't cross state lines? Exactly, CJ. Um, there's a lot of latitude within the state. Um, you can go to different dispensaries um, for your medication, but you can't cross state lines. And that goes for people who purchase them or, or residents of Pennsylvania and they purchase in Pennsylvania. We're telling them not to cross state lines, even to use it in another state. So don't take it on your airplane. Don't don't drive to a different state and smoke it or eat it or whatever you're doing. Don't do that because gotcha. technically that's a violation of law. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. All these you know, all these what ifs are going through my mind. So this is really fascinating. I appreciate this. Um, so maybe we could talk a little bit going back to how to how physicians can be protected. How do they ensure that they're complying with state law? What I mean, what are you recommending to clients and to physicians in general? Well, I hate to say find a good lawyer, but yeah. that does tend to be a, a, a really good solution for some of these things. But at a minimum, physicians should take a look at the regs. Usually the regs are divided um, so that you can easily find a section that pertains to physicians. So, so all the states that we've looked at have a physician section, and they'll tell you about the requirements to stay legal within the, in, within the state. For instance, normally you'll have to take a course, two to four hour course that teaches you in, in very highly technical medical terms the things that are related to medical marijuana so that when you are recommending, that you're recommending from a base of information. So that's one thing. Also, you'll have to register with the state so they can kind of keep track of it. You have to have certain promises about not advertising and, and things like that. But as long as you stay compliant, the state's not going to be, um, you know, approaching you with violations or fees or fines. Or In fact, most states have a provision in their act that actually um, protects physicians from any kind of prosecution. Okay, that's good to know. Have you have you seen, you mentioned the one enforcement back in 2002 from kind of a federal level. Have you seen any state enforcement? I mean, you're obviously defending physicians and, and representing them, so I'm assuming there's probably some cases. There are not cases where um, states or um, federal government in my, that I have a personal experience with who have been brought up on any kind of charges or even fines or fees. I think California had... A one physician and actually one lawyer brought up on charges that that was because they were selling um, illicit drugs along with medical marijuana. They were also taking it across state lines. They were there were some blatant violations of the law. There wasn't right. just this compliant physician that was recommending medical marijuana. There's been no cases of that across the country. Yeah. So as long as folks are following, you know, that's kind of our mantra in the compliance world as well, right? Is that a lot of people get scared. In the compliance world, you know, I deal a lot with False Claims Act and anti-kickback statute and those sorts of things. And people think, oh, we're just going to get in trouble. I'm like, well, not if you're trying to do what's right. It, you know, the government doesn't have unlimited resources either. They're not going to come after you usually um, for for honest mistakes. Um, and especially if you're trying to comply, it's usually those folks that are kind of way off in left field that that are getting in trouble. You know, and especially you mentioned kind of other illicit drugs. Um, we've had past um, webinars that we've done and, and uh, talks about the whole opioid epidemic. And so there's a lot of enforcement there. Um, so I think anytime that that something new comes up like medical marijuana, I think compliance folks get a little nervous. So I think this is really helpful to know that folks like you are out there with expertise and resources and you're dealing with the issues that come up day to day. Um, and, and CJ, you bring up a good point. Um, 
There's actually, in everybody's talks a lot about the tax bill that was recently passed, in all of the spending bills that have passed in the last couple of years, there's a small little provision that people may not be aware of in there that precludes um, the DOJ, the Department of Justice, um, from spending any federal funds on prosecution of those that are compliant with state laws. So that includes physicians. So um, DOJ doesn't have the money to prosecute anybody who's state compliant right now. Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. Good. Okay. Um, so let's kind of um, move a little bit ahead here and talk about what other issues might be facing healthcare facilities and physicians who, who recommend medical marijuana. Okay. Um, I do want to uh, say the obvious, and that is that medical marijuana provides physicians with an alternative to prescribing opioids. And you may or may not have heard of a study that was um, done by um, a husband-wife team called, um, they were both Dr. Hurd. And what they found was they, they analyzed all the states that legalized medical marijuana, and they found that there was a 25, well, 24.8% decrease in opioid overdose and opioid deaths um, related to all the states that legalized marijuana. And that's because it gives, gives physicians alternatives to prescribing opioids. So I just wanted to yeah. make sure that the physicians have that as their statistics when, they, when they're looking at pers- uh, recommending medical marijuana over prescribing opioids. That's great. And you said the the two physicians' last name was Heard. Is it H-E-R-D or H-E-A-R-D? It's actually H-U-R-D. Oh, H-U-R-D. Excuse me. So um, excellent. So the study uh, by doctors Heard, H-U-R-D, would be interesting for our listeners to, to kind of look at to see um, some good empiric data about uh, a reduction in opioid addictions and deaths um, in states that have legalized medical marijuana. Great to know about. I didn't. I didn't know that. And you and your and your physician base may have also seen this special that was on CNN by Sanjay Gupta, uh, the physician on, uh, yes. is on CNN, um, and he um, looked at all of the different research. And one of the new things that are out is that um, medical marijuana not only um, can relieve the side effects of withdrawal from opioids and can reduce the cravings for opioids during withdrawal. But they studied the scans of the brain and they found that people who um, took medical marijuana during the withdrawal actually experienced via the brain scans um, a healing of their brain. Mm, interesting. So the damage that was caused by opioids. So that's not me. That's Sanjay yeah. Gupta, and, and people can look that up and check that out as yeah, well. Exactly. So really cool things for physicians to look at. Um, in terms of things they need to be aware of, and they just really need to, not, in addition to what we, you and I talked about, CJ, and, and looking at the regulations and making sure they're compliant and making sure they're recommending and not prescribing, making sure that they're um, actually um, giving uh, a... Um, diagnosis to the to, to the patients. There's no uh, telemedicine involved. Okay. Um, in addition to those kinds of things, they need to make sure that they have some assistance in developing their informed consent and their limited liability forms that they have patients um, yeah. complete when Good. they come to um, visit them. Good points. Absolutely. Um, so how do, kind of on the practical and operational side, how do, you know, then these medical providers, either hospitals, facilities, physicians, collect fees and what, the, what can they collect a fee on as it relates to recommending medical marijuana? Good question. Um, the physicians can still collect their normal fee for the visit and the diagnosis, and they can process that through regular insurance companies. Okay. Um, in terms of the medical marijuana, the patient will still have to, again, go to the dispensary and pay cash for um, the, the medicine. Okay. But the, the doctor should be able to process all of their... Um, their diagnosis and the doctor's visits the same way they always have. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would think that that, that makes sense to me. Um, the other thing, you know, a lot of our folks, uh, our compliance professionals that listen in um, are involved in privacy, HIPAA, and that sort of thing. You know, are there, what kind of issues or things have you seen between HIPAA and maybe even disclosure to law enforcement and, and those types of issues? Right. HIPAA is still alive and well in the medical marijuana realm, although um, I think that each state and each physician in the state would have to take a look at the um, access that various entities have to this information. For instance, in some states, the Department of Health or the Department of um, Pharmacy, the Board of Pharmacy, may have access to the records, and, and that should be part of your informed consent with the patient if that is, in fact, the case. Additionally, some places have law enforcement um, being able to access those records. Pennsylvania started out that way, soon uh, determined that that was not the best path to follow, and they have since severed the connection between law enforcement being able to look at medical records. So you just have to be very cognizant in each state who's accessing those records and be making your patients aware that those records might be seen by certain entities. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, you know, one of the, I don't know if I mentioned to this, you mentioned this to you previously, but I trained as a physician, so I, and though I'm not practicing and haven't, I've been doing compliance full-time for about 20-plus years, but I have a lot of physician friends, and they're always talking to me about their liability insurance. How does... How do they maintain that if they're going to start recommending this? Is there a risk there? There's probably some fears whether they're valid or not. What are your thoughts about liability insurance? The first thing I always tell the clients or the the physicians that call me for advice is to call their insurance company and have a frank and candid conversation. Most insurance companies will continue to insure the physicians but they need to be made aware um, under the DNO part of that insurance. They need to be made aware of what the physician's doing. And lots of times, for no extra money, um, they can put a rider in that says, we are covering, covering you for your rec- recommending medical marijuana. And so it hasn't been a problem, but I think it would be a problem if a physician um, moved forward on recommending medical marijuana without apprising their insurance company. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, really interesting. So I wanted to ask you, we're getting a little bit closer to our end of our episode here, but I wanted to ask you about uh, the entities and businesses that that dispense uh, medical marijuana. It sounds like you also have had experience uh, representing them. Do, do they have unique, uh, they're obviously, you know, the states are regulating kind of how this should be done, but what do they face? Well, uh, they face an enormous amount of costs associated with security. Most states have uh, very stringent security requirements on both the dispensary and the grower processor. For instance, if you go into a CVS or Rite Aid or, you know, um, one of those drugstores, um, you could walk right up to the counter. You could get your opioids or your prescriptions just by telling them your birth date. They look it up, make sure the doctor's prescribed it, and away you go. Right. Dispensaries go through a double locked door with armed guards, um, you're, you're accompanied by a dispensary attendant the entire time you're in there. If you don't have a medical marijuana card, you can't get in. So wow. even if you're like a, a, a parent of a child, well, not a child so much, you would get a caregiver card. But if you have an elderly parent that you're taking there, you'll have to stay outside in the lobby. They're, they're very, very secure. So there's a lot of, of security around them. Okay. And so there's additional liability where that's concerned as well. You just, again, have to have a conversation with your insurance company and try yeah. to have a local insurance company that you can talk to, a local bank you can talk to. The more local you can, can, can find your vendors, consultants, and contractors, um, the more likely you'll have a, a good outcome for those things. So 
this may be a silly question too, but where do they event where do they get their medical marijuana from? So are they growing it in certain places? Are they getting it from outside the country? I mean, where does that come from? Yeah, most of the states that initially legalize it realize that again, theoretically, anybody who's going to grow marijuana shouldn't be having it already. So they're going to have to get it from outside of the state. So they allow a very small window for the grower processors to purchase seeds. And normally they are purchased not only from outside the state, but outside the country. A lot of people get their seeds from, let's say, um, Israel. Israel is a huge medical marijuana proponent, and they're on the cutting edge of a lot of stuff. So a lot of people get their seeds um, from, from Israel. But then the window closes. So they may give you 30, 60 days to get the seeds and get the plants up and running. And after that, you'll have to cultivate your own seeds and you'll have to uh, be sustainable. Wow. Really interesting. All sorts of uh, questions. And um, you just are a wealth of knowledge. Let me give you kind of the last (laughs) word um, in the last few minutes, last minute or two we have here. Is there anything I didn't cover that you're like, why didn't this guy ask me this? And that these are what people ask me all the time when they learn what I do for a living. Uh, what what last minute parting thoughts do you have? I thought you did a great job asking very targeted, um, important questions. But I will say that the biggest hurdle we have is education. We need to educate people on the medicinal benefits of medical marijuana. I got into this because a gr- girlfriend of mine who's a lawyer who has a five-year-old who has epilepsy, um, and it was the only medication that would work. And wow. so... People need to, you know, people need to really realize that there's some real good things happening with medical marijuana. This is not an excuse for people to just get high. In fact, a lot of the medical marijuana has little or no THC, which is the psychoactive part of of medical marijuana, and have the C, has the CBD instead, which is very, very helpful in a lot of these conditions. And I encourage people to go on YouTube, and you can search on, um, you know, MS or epilepsy or um, or, or any of those kinds of conditions. And you can see people taking the medical marijuana and you can see the actual results um, that are very positive from that yeah. and, you know, administration. Fascinating. I've learned a great deal in just this short time. Why don't you also tell our listeners one last time how they can uh, reach you either via website or whichever your preferred method is if they need further expertise. Sure. Thanks, CJ. Um, yes, you can. Our website is Cannabis Law PA. That's Cannabis Law PA. You can go on there. Even if you don't need help from me, it's a, it's a good source of some additional information. And then if you need to give me a call, it's 717-703-0804. Thank you, Judy. So everyone, again, this is that was Judy Castle, um, expert in uh, all legal issues with medical marijuana. And uh, from a compliance perspective, we, uh, we are seeing kind of some crossover. Though we might not deal with this uh, day in and day out, we're definitely working with uh, leadership in our facilities and in our medical practices where this may be an issue and, and folks might turn to you as a compliance professional. Um, and though we can't be an expert in everything, part of our job as compliance officers is to know where to turn. Um, and so Judy sounds like she'd be one of those great people that we could turn to. So thank you again, Judy. And thanks everybody for listening to another episode of Compliance Conversations. Until next time.